Welcome to this series of podcasts for FinTech CTO Club, a community where tech executives learn and share best leadership practices. Here, Vasil Soloschuk, CEO of Insart and the author of FinTech CTO Club, will discuss burning topics on the FinTech product development arena with the technical leaders in the industry. This is episode 9 of our podcast. We are going to talk with Nicholas Joseph, VP of Engineering at Datalog, that uses machine learning to improve data preparation. Actually, my very first question is always, so could you please introduce yourself and uh, what's your background and what's your current role? Yeah, so my name is Nick. I'm currently the uh, VP of Engineering at Datalog, uh, also in charge of uh, security, so like CISO-like. Um, Dialog is like a small company, so we're about uh, 20 people. The engineering team is about 10 people. Um, and so like what we do is we build uh, um, a platform for big enterprise companies for them to be able to clean up their data uh, automatically through machine learning. So that's a mix of ETL, machine learning, and uh, smart data pipelining to be able to automate data preparation. Um, so, like in terms of my background, uh, I come from a security background. So I started doing um, computer security at the Department of Defense in France, uh, and realized that the Department of Defense and big organization were not really my thing. Uh, so I decided to go into like more of the startup land, where like I joined um, a company called Linkurious in France, uh, which is doing visualization software. Um, there I was uh, one of the first employee. Uh, I was working on uh, leading the front end and uh, part of a back end. I then moved to the US, uh, did the master's degree there, uh, started my own company called GitLinks. Um, so this, I stayed there for about uh, eight months, then decided that uh, it wasn't working for me. Uh, and then um, joined Datalog at that point. Um, Gitlinks got acquired, I think, uh, a few months ago, uh, which is good for them. Uh, but uh, that's kind of my, my, my background and what I did. Okay, thank you. Um, so as for uh, the role of CTO or VP engineer, and you know, uh, there are many different uh, activities that should yeah. be done. And it also depends on the size of the company, the size of the team, uh, the maturity of the product and the stage of the product that you have and the stage of the business that you have. So actually, what are the main responsibilities at the moment uh, for yourself? So technical like, leader. Mm -hmm. I, I would say like there's several parts of, of this, but like the the I think the main responsibility is to drive the engineering team's performance. So like making sure that um, people don't have like a lot of roadblocks. They know what what they're doing, uh, where they're doing. Like the problems are uh, well defined, so that they can move forward like uh, at like a good pace. Um, and that goes from like the quality standpoint, how fast can you get to solution, um, trying to scope the, 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 the productionization of a feature like uh, upfront. So like, is it something that we are trying out and we just want like something quick and potentially dirty and that's fine because it's just like a prototype or are we putting this into, into production in the hands of clients and it needs to be like solid kind of thing. So. It's like, I think that's the, the kind of overarching goal of my role right now is like trying to, to maximize that performance. Uh, that's, uh, in order to do that, like I have like several responsibilities as well, which are like uh, growing people, making sure that like when people come on board, usually they don't have all the skills that they need to be able to do all the parts of a job and it's fine. Um, so like uh, being able to teach everything that's missing is like super important. Um, there's also evaluating technologies. So once, uh, when we're building features, is like, can we get something on board that um, will do most of the work for us? And then uh, we can build on top or like around to, to make things work. 
um, and how do we um, how do we think about evaluating technology? That was actually something that was at the basis of GitLinks before. Is like how do we evaluate open source um, software? Like yeah, there's things like community licensing, um, how widespread the use of the technology is, like benchmarks, like all those kind of things. So both on the and a wide, wide range spectrum of criteria that go from technical to uh, something more like organizational risk, um, like those kind of things. And then I'm also handling recruiting for my team. So making sure we, we have the right resources and the right skills within the team to be able to, uh, to do what we need to do uh, and deliver the product. And then um, making sure we do all of this in a secure way. So I'm also in charge of security. So the um, and since I have a background in that <laughs> in that area, like I got the, the security hat as well. That's kind of what I do. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, so my next question is about challenges that uh, you know that you have. And uh, we have identified a list of uh, major challenges. Some of them are, you know, uh, some of them can have uh, high priority. Uh, maybe some of them are lower priority, and they are related, you know, like to recruiting and uh, training people, and uh, you know, uh, identifying what uh, technology to use, and uh, there could be. I mean, there, there, there is a list of these challenges actually in one of our articles that we published uh, a few months ago. So actually for yourself at the moment, what, are, what, what would you identify like the biggest challenges, maybe like two, three biggest challenges uh, related maybe to processes or to people or to technology or, you know, to product or business? I think right now, like the the biggest challenges that we have is figuring out the the right balance between like uh, uh, like figuring out the, the right processes to um, to drive for the best um, product output in terms of like the dichotomy between speed and quality. Um, so like we tend to go quite fast in like being able to produce results and have something that's like uh, good to go. The, the, the question, but we're also very big on testing. So like we are driving more and more. So we have a micro microservice architecture um, and all our services are like really well, unit tested and kind of integration tested with databases. But like the, the service mesh is being uh, what we call integration tested. Um, and like we're driving more and more towards like having more and more of us test uh, but like of course like the more tests you add there the most cost costly it is because um, then it's like the integration server is not taking like uh, a minute five minutes it's like it's going to be taking an hour like the more tests you add, you add on this thing so it's like all about like what are the right tests to put like how much test uh, testing you actually want to do how much safeguards do we, do we want to to put around the product and like uh what are the risks that uh, that are okay to take and, and not okay to take so that's kind of i think the the biggest challenge that we have right now is providing the shooting into the the right spot for like in order to have reliability without like having too much of a cost so i think that's uh that's kind of our biggest challenge right now Okay, got it, got it. Um, yeah, so it's very interesting uh, topic as well, you know, how much should you invest in automated testing environment, uh, you know, versus manual testing, because, you know, as soon as uh, uh, your product grows, you need to spend more effort for, you know, regression testing, uh, but with the automation testing, you can minimize this effort, but you need to invest in advance. Uh, mm -hmm. into building the automation testing environment. So uh, as soon as you mentioned this as a, as, as, as a part of the challenge, uh, so what's, what's your strategy here? So uh, what's, what's your opinion here? How much should we invest from the beginning, from scratch, when building the product from scratch into 
building the you know the mature automation test uh, yeah. testing framework or not, or we can stick with the manual testing, maybe just doing some unit tests and so, tests. Or, yeah, yeah. or yeah, so what what's your opinion here on automation testing from scratch or postponing with that for the later stages when the product is more mature? So that's a that's a tricky one because like uh, we wouldn't know how things would have gone if we would have done things differently. Yes, so yes. The, the 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 road that we took is more the lazy road. Um, so the, it's the lazy road with doing an emphasis on um, unit tests very early on. So like we have like a very good like one of the metrics we track on 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 tests is like code coverage and. Most of our services are like on the 90th percentile of like code coverage, if not 100%. So like on every service, like we have a very good code coverage. Uh, what we were uh, late in the game for is uh, integration tests. So how do we, how can we like test the whole platform together when everything is running? Uh, the that we we do regret a little bit, like not investing upfront. Uh, because like then we, we've had like a bunch of problems that I think like uh, could have easily been prevented from uh, having those tests in place. Um, but then the, the, the question is like we didn't spend that much time in integration tests so we were able to make more progress on the on the product and so like the the, the question is like would we be in the situation we are right now if we would not have made that investment uh, in the product instead of in the test. Um, and so the answer is I, I don't really know. <laughs> uh, if it was to, if I were to do it again, I think I would try to do the, um, the integration, like uh, having an integration test environment um, upfront first, uh, because I think it's also like easier to put in place once like the product is smaller and you have less, uh, Dependencies, you potentially also have less people that you need to onboard into the new, the new, it's a new process. Um, so, like the upfront cost is actually less if you do it earlier than if you do it later. Um, that being said, I don't know how it would have turned out. So, uh, I'll do that at next company, I'll do that experiment, and then I'll know for sure like what's the best. <laughs> but okay, like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So my next question is, you know, it's very important to uh, to structure the team in the right way. And also yeah. it depends on the size of the team. Uh, and uh, there are a couple of different approaches. So you can have one one big team or you can split your, you know, your team into a couple of teams that will focus on different product areas. So how, it is, how, how big is the team right now and how to structure it? What's your approach? Do you have like cross-functional uh, engineers and like cross-functional team uh, or not? Or and are you focusing on some different product areas uh, or you have one big team? Um, so how does it work? And also it's very interesting as soon as, as you have uh, data as soon as your data analytics platform actually. Mm -hmm. So I said, so I, I, I think you do have like data scientists and probably there is some difference uh, between, you know, structuring the engineering team and data science team as well. So we, we don't, the team is about eight people right now, like not, not counting me, um, but we have uh, two, we don't have data scientists. We have ML engineers, uh, machine okay. learning engineers. Okay. Uh, we have, uh, one DevOps, we have a uh, free backend engineer, uh, one full stack and one front end. Uh, I think that those accounts. Um, and the, the way we've structured things, so historically we've had like one scrum team, then two scrum teams, and then we uh, like uh, aggregated, every, aggregated everything back into one, one big team. Um, like there's gonna be a point where like we want to separate those in two, but like right now what we what we playing the carb of is like trying to have everyone be as cross-functional as possible. So uh, the way we are thinking about things is that the 
members of a team should have one specialty. So like they're expert into something. So uh, ML engineers are expert, expert in machine learning, um, stuff like that. But they at least should be able to contribute to another part of the stack. So if you ML, you should be able to to uh, understand either the back end or the front end. It's up to you. But like um, another part of the stack, so that like you keep in touch also with a product and you have a very good understanding about how the different pieces fit together, so that you don't develop something that like um, doesn't fit with with the puzzle. And the same thing for the like back end, like front end. They all like the idea is that you have to grow your skills into uh, different areas, and you can't really like stay in your comfort zone into like just one part of the stack. Um, so basically, the structure right now is having um, one big team uh, that's like cross-functional, and then when we once we will grow out of that uh, that structure. Um, then like we'll have uh, two different teams um, and they will be specialized on area of the product. Uh, that being said, uh, we've done that in the past and like what we've seen is that it tends to create, create silos and it was, mm -hmm. uh, uh, it was hard for people to know what the other team was working on uh, when they were like uh, uh, not perfectly isolated, but like uh, isolated in terms of like their own processes, like the planning and the stand-ups, like the retros, those kind of things. Um, so what I'm planning to try for uh, the next iteration of this uh, is going to be to have cross, uh, instead of, so having like primary team that are cross-functional and then having um, secondary team that are purely functional. So you'd have the backend team, you would have the frontend team, you would have the ML team. Mm -hmm. And um, those um, team are secondary in the sense where people meeting up will be less frequent than like their primary team. Um, but they will meet up in the sense where they're going to be able to synchronize with each other to know uh, what, what everyone is working on so that they don't step on each other's toes. They'll be able to exchange ideas on things that they've seen, um, lesson learn, like uh, things like uh, cross teach, like uh, things that they learned in their respective projects, stuff like that. So that we maintain the communication and then uh, by those uh, uh, functional teams, there will be also communication cross teams um, mm -hmm. so that everyone knows what everyone is working on. Um, so that's kind of like how I'm planning to structure things in order to prevent the silos from happening because they happen very fast. If you don't pay attention to those kind of things and you just go, hey, I'm going to do cross-functional teams, part of a product, and then like like sooner or later, like people are stepping on each other's toes. Uh, you're starting losing knowledge about how things work. So only one team knows how something works, not the other one. Um, and so it's like a little bit problematic when you're trying to connect different pieces together. So. Okay, okay. Yeah, so thank you, thank you for the answer. Um, so actually, um, my next question is about the, how do you measure the performance of your team, of your, you know, of, of the whole team and uh, of a particular team member, particular engineer. So do you have, you know, like any business metrics or, you know, technical metrics? So because sometimes it's, it, it, it's really, uh, very hard to measure the performance and to understand whether somebody performed well or not. Yeah. And it's it's very it could be rather subjective, you know, depending on the mm. uh, complexity of tasks that somebody accomplished, uh, and uh, also it can it, it can be related whether uh, he or she is a team uh, player or not, or how how he or she you know, performs separately or working together with the rest of the team. So do you have any formal metrics or how do you actually measure the that's performance? Mm -hmm. That's a very good question. I think that's a question which we're all struggling with quite a bit. Um, the, the way we've uh, thought about this is more like uh, from the business perspective, um, what is expected of the engineering organization. And I think the, 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 so it's never perfect what you can measure, but like the thing that's most important for the business is um, what does the engineering organization say they can do 
and what do they actually do so mm -hmm. if we say like hey in a sprint we can do this and we do we do exactly what we said we would do that's that's ideal for the product organization for like the business as a whole because then they start having like uh it starts building trust into the engineering org starts being like hey we can deliver projects on time provided we follow those steps and like we actually know what we're doing um so for us like what we're measuring right now is the number of stories we predict we're going to do and the number of stories we end up doing so that gives us an idea about like hey we shot there like are we like uh, are we doing better than we expected are we doing worse and like with that in mind because when scrum and it's very agile like something's come up during the, the sprint we something uh, get added um so we also measure like uh, how many stories were added during the week so we have a very precise uh measurement of uh what what shifted under our feet under our feet during the week, um, and like how did we act? How did we how did we adapt? And like are we good at at doing the set that the, at doing the things that we said we would do? So that's kind of like the primary uh, measure uh, that we have um, in terms of other measurements. So mm -hmm. we're also measuring we're using point system to be able to estimate difficulty of uh, user stories. Um, so we're trying to measure productivity in a way with like um, how many points per engineer are we able to do. Okay. So that's kind of like uh, another measure uh, that we're not really, it's more an indicative measure. It's not really a, a driver in the sense where um, we don't want people to overestimate the, 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 the stories that they're working on. Um, and then, like, in order to balance that, that metric, we also have another metric, which is uh, the average number of points per user story, which we want uh, to drive down. And the reason for that, which we should see a, a driving down in, like, average point per user story is it because uh, as people are doing more and more of tasks, they should get familiar more and more with the stack. And it should become easier and easier to to get something done. So, like the time to get something done, overall should go lower. Uh, there's also the fact that we're trying to drive for more atomic and small smaller user stories that can be like done in about like a day and day and a half. So that um, so that they are like really well defined and well scoped out. And then it's just a, if there's something complicated to do, then it's a combination of like simple things. Um, which makes like things much more predictable and much more testable um, and improve quality as a whole. So the that's kind of how we're thinking is like I think those are the three main metrics that we actually tracking, which are like uh, so to put in a nutshell, um, how many user stories do we predict that we able to do at the beginning of a sprint? How much? How many do we do? Um, productivity on engineers. Uh, in a per uh, points per engineer basis, and then uh, average uh, story points per user stories, which we should be driving down and reach a plateau. Like, of course, it's never going to be zero, but like that's uh, that we should okay. plateau on something. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds really great, you know, because uh, I uh, I saw many uh, that many times, you know, uh, this point system fails actually. And uh, you never achieve the uh, some statistical uh, possibility, you know, to predict uh, uh, the you know the progress uh, using the uh, this point system. Yeah. So, so it's, it's so really far cool. for us, it's been uh, it's been actually quite good. I think like the mm -hmm. the. Um, the we getting within our targets uh on the number of engineering stories i think within 10 percent okay um, like so that's like that's been very helpful another thing that like really has been really helpful is being able to um challenge the team on their estimates so sometimes you're gonna see mm -hmm. um twice like you estimating two stories and then the team is saying, hey, this one is five and then this yes. one is seven. And then like they, 
basically exactly the same thing is like why are those things different and then like so like as you're like pointing those things out and like then the team learns how to to better estimate and be more rigorous about those things um and that's that's when like like as you go through uh people get better and then you get better at estimating and all those things but like otherwise like it's a it can be very easy to just do the thing just to do the thing um it's like if not being critical about it like that's that that's a sure recipe for like just going in the wall or like not going in the wall it being useless so okay okay so another very important topic and question i would like to discuss is about the team team culture or corporate culture you know and uh you know sometimes it's really hard to understand what what is that and how to use it and uh, many companies they claim uh, they have some unique corporate culture and uh, sometimes it's really really hard, hard to identify what things are included into this corporate culture and, and what what are not but uh, from your experience what is what what do you think what is that so what is, what is team culture and your team in your company uh, for example i also I also mentioned that uh, you know uh, you you like to cook, and uh, as I understand, you know this mm-hmm. is something uh, that is interesting for your team members as well, and that you do together sometimes. So, uh, does it help uh, somehow to you know uh, to unite the team and spend some time and to integrate uh, all the team members uh, with each other? What other things uh, have you done, you know, to to build the corporate culture so yeah so yeah for me the culture is like uh it's a mix of how um it's like how do you build um the team's reaction to different situations uh so that like they, they can face problems so it's how do they work together it's how uh, do you face problem how do you think about like uh, solutions uh, are you like trying to drive things like how 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 have you built your mental models to think about um, um, to think about the world more basically that's kind of like what I think and like within the scope of a team and within the scope of the company and the problems that we, we we're trying to solve um, the that so it's different things that we've been doing the, the one of the things is the the cooking so like uh, that comes from the our uh co-founder uh tim who is like a a very very good cook um okay. so like he's been like a, a thing that we've been doing since the beginning is like uh, uh getting people investors uh, uh at at home so i used to live with tim i just moved to montreal but like uh actually used to live with tim in new york and we would mm-hmm. get uh, investors. Mm-hmm. We would get like a prospective employees, like uh, mm-hmm. all of that, like at dinner, and like we would cook cook together. So like you would get mm-hmm. like around like a, um, six or seven, at, like at home, and then we would just cook. And sometimes we would eat at ten because it just takes so much time to do all that food. Um, but like okay. we would have a great time together. You can start like seeing like the dynamics between the team, uh, like people that lead, people that like follow how do people teach each other so it's just like it's a it's an exercise for interaction between the members of the team uh in a more relaxed setting than like just the office and you're practicing skills that uh you put into practice uh at work but without it being at work so apply to something else which is the cooking um so that's that's great in that part we haven't so we've been doing that in new york a lot not as much in montreal and uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that I want to do here, like since I'm moving, is like doing the same thing. So um, I'll invite like the the team at my place, and we'll all cook together. So that's uh, that's one thing that like we really want to do here as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's really great. Um, another question I have is uh, related, you know, to AI and uh, machine learning techniques that you. Uh, that you use uh, for your platform. So could could you please uh, tell us what's what the 
uniqueness uh, of your implementation of your solution actually so what the unique selling point and maybe what machine learning techniques do you use uh, to process all the data so what we have is um, we build essentially um, neural networks so most of our machine learning is neural network based um, so we're doing NLP for our customers so it's like either CNN or like um, RNNs that uh, like we use depending on the task uh, the 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 reason why we're uh, I think quite unique is like how we've been training our models um, we have like really great results on our customers data so for example we were training we have one PII model that we've grown internally um, and we've been using with customers for uh, GP, GDPR compliance uh, use cases and um, I think we have one of the best ones uh, out there uh, like one of our customers uh, reported to us that um, with that model uh, so they did a comparison between like human classification and the model um, and the models but it 30% more personal identification data than humans could do so it's like you can like you, you can do the math pretty quickly the machine learning model is actually much faster than a human and mm -hmm. it's actually like uh, spitting out like a lot more like personal identification data than a, a human would uh, so on on that front like um, it's really performant and the reason why it's that performant is because um, we actually are able to train uh, like we have a very generalizable architecture that we ship within our platform and that we're able to train on um, different types of data and specialize depending on like the um, the use cases that our customers have but, so like that's kind of like the core of our technology is the the capacity to train a neural network at scale uh, within our infrastructure on customers data for them to be able to to use those neural networks on their data to understand the data better so that's kind of like the 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 core of what we do and and the how we do at that scale is um, leveraging um, two things first our um, streaming engine so we have an internal streaming engine that does uh, that abstraction for us um, that's based on on Aka Aka streams mm -hmm. um, and then we have um, also the inference so like the machine learning reference is running on GPUs. Um, so when we when you get into our, our customers infrastructure, we require GPUs for machine learning inference so that uh, the algorithm can actually run at a decent speed. So the combination of those two things is essentially um, what makes us being able to work on the data uh, and at scale. And we partner closely with uh, uh, NVIDIA. Uh, now we're starting, to, we, we've talked with Dell. Uh, HP to try to make sure that our software runs well on their hardware um, and that like we can optimize like uh, the bandwidth where necessary for being able to do to have maximum performance there okay okay that's great thank you so the quick uh, tool, tool story so what's uh, so could you please name uh, briefly what are uh, what are the main uh, what the main technological stack that you use to build this um, so in terms of stack, we have uh, Scala in the back end. So uh, I guess uh, I guess streams mostly. Um, some like HTTP for us stuff uh, on the type level in the type level ecosystem. We're um, using TypeScript in the front end. Uh, we use Python for. Uh, we have an SDK also for some of the machine learning part. Um, so the machine part is mostly based on TensorFlow. Um, so TensorFlow, Scala, uh, React Redux with like um, TypeScript in the front end. That's kind of it. That gives you like a good uh, perspective. And we run everything on Kubernetes because we need to scale. So okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, what about project management, project tracking tool? Uh, we use uh, something called Clubhouse, which is a mm -hmm. uh, um, um, it's like a story-based, um, um, like kind of 
ticket like a story tracking system so you have a kanban you have all those things it's quite cool because it like also gives you like burn down charts on like uh, epics and like you can define your milestone it gives you prediction on like based on your burn down chart like how will when will you be done with a milestone uh it's really it's it's a, it's a really nice tool um before that we were like on github issues but like uh because of the distributed nature of like the the project like actually aggregating everything into a, a central thing was uh, actually much better um so that's what we use there in terms of other tools in general so code is on github um what else do we have communities what github. about communication tools and messages like slack or something else mm -hmm. yeah exactly so we're using slack we're on google drive uh go on Suite for like the everything that's document management um we do have an office license because you can't really do business without office but uh yeah. um, that's not really what we use day to day um Okay. Apart from that, like I think that's about it. Like, uh, let me look at my we use IntelliJ, like JetBrains, Postgres um, in the back end, like some Elasticsearch. Um, that's I think that's mostly it. I'm looking at my shortcuts to try to see like uh, what they have there, but like I think that's mostly it in terms of technology. So do you have you know um, any? kind of lack of you know tools uh, tools that you need to uh, to build the technology or to proceed with your with the, with the process at the moment i mean like some yeah. maybe something that you're still deciding whether to use or not or something you don't still know what to use better so there's like a thing that i've been craving for but like uh Hard, like I hate uh, the GitHub. Uh, I don't hate. That's a strong word, but I don't like the GitHub review page. Uh, I think it's like it's not the best way to to be able to do code reviews because you lack uh, like there's a a lack of context awareness about like how the code is structured because it's like flattens everything out. You don't really know like how people organize their code, like in terms of like directories. Um, it's hard to it's like you can have that information if you look for it, but it's a little bit hard. Um, and like the because it like it it like removes some of the context. You can't click through on like functions definitions to actually know what's happening. It's kind of like lacking some of the IDE features that you would want to do like a proper code review. Um, and so like I think like one of the tools that like uh, I wish were out there and I I haven't seen before is like an like an IntelliJ like like for code review so like something that has um good powerful features uh of like being able to click through code um and that lets you comment on the code and just like puts that in, into a pr i think that's like i spend a lot of time doing prs like those days and like uh, i think those kind of things would make my life easier uh like a whole bunch and like also augment like the quality of the code reviews. Um, I don't think, like there's a lot of uh, code review, automated code review tools. You can only like uh, do so much with automation. I don't think like, like computers would need to be able to write code to be able to, to review code like properly. Um, we're not there yet. So like the, until that's the case, like I think we still need humans to do it. Um, and like right now the tools that we have to do it are not ideal. So okay. I think we can do better on that, but I I don't know. I wouldn't know where what to look. Like I've been looking a little bit and didn't find anything. Okay, work. okay. So I have few few last questions. Um, let's talk a bit about the security and uh, actually, uh, uh, what what security measures have and capabilities have you implemented in your platform and what what's your approach in general. Um, because it can be related, you know, to, to technical implementations as well as, you know, setting up proper policies and uh, processes uh, across the company. So could, could you provide maybe a couple advices here how to build, you know, the secure system and secure, uh, the secure product and secure system mm -hmm. overall? 
So like the the way we've been thinking about this is like trying to um, really ingrain the security in in the company and how we think about uh, features first. So like every time there's something like sensitive, uh, we try to be proactive about it and like think about like hey how could someone like take advantage of this or like uh, really having an adv an adversarial mindset there so that like to to provide the right security. Um, in terms of uh, the culture is like all, always referred to a standard. So, uh, hey, we have a problem. We're not the first one to have a problem. Don't ship your own cryptography kind of thing. That's the worst idea ever. Uh, just look for like uh, pre-built modules, how people have solved this problem before and just apply the, the solution because most of the time, some like I've never faced right now a security problem that hasn't been solved by someone else before. So that's 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 kind of like how we think about it in the platform, in the development process, um, and really being proactive on that front. The the other like side of a co uh, coin is like kind of a compliance uh, side of things, and like how do you deal with that with customers? And on that front, we've been mostly lazy about it in the sense where we implementing things when uh, customer asks for it. So um, in the the sales process, we usually is a step where we start talking with security and they have their own requirements. And what we've been doing is uh, both negotiating with security on some of the uh, security aspects and like integrating uh, the, as we see more and more questionnaires and like more and more um, security requirement, uh, integrating everything that comes uh, 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 on a recurring basis uh, within the product. The 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 strong point that we have is that we're shipping our product on premises um so it's not something that like accessible from the internet it's not something um that like any any hacker from the outside could just access and start to brute force or like uh start to like um have consequences on so mm -hmm. on that front like the we have a very privileged position because we're usually protected by the measures of security that our customers have because we're behind their firewall on the infrastructure. Um, so that's like, that's also what kind of makes it like uh, some of the negotiation possible is because, hey, the access is so restricted by their infrastructure that like some of the uh, constraints that you usually have or like uh, kind of lifted or uh, more less stringent than they would be in in other situations. Uh, that being said, we t we we do take it very seriously and we do include things progressively. So some of the things we've included, there's the standard stuff. Well, like the standard stuff is like uh, password encryption. Um, like uh, there's also like uh, we have like um, um, one login, not one login, uh, OpenID Connect like uh, authentication integration. We have like uh, personal identification tokens for uh, users when they use like uh, for when they use SDKs. We have um, uh, what else did we build? Um, um, like CRF protections. Uh, like yeah. So we're trying to like be super like um, cognition about those things like HTTPS, SSL, like encryption in transit. Um, all those kind of things. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of like how we've been thinking about uh, the security. Like in in my mind, like the the another important part is like the the security of like the like the how you ingrain security in the company is also um, upfront with with put like a password manager, like a company password manager uh, that people have access to. Um, like uh, we use one password and I think that's that's a simple way to make people aware of, of security um, that like hey you can't really put your password anywhere you need to put your password everywhere like mm -hmm. those kind of things we ask people all everyone to use 2FA on all the services they use for the company so like making that effort and like setting in place those policies is a way for people to really be cognizant of the, about this and like feel and think about security every day, uh, and it becomes a uh, it becomes like natural to think about those things. 
Okay, okay. Yes, thank you. So it's it's uh, very interesting. Um, so another question is uh, about uh, you know your personal time management, and yeah. uh, you as a technology leader, you need to deal with many different things through the day. So it's interesting to learn more about how you manage your time, how you plan your time. Um, you know, have you, you, are you are using any kind of, you know, techniques, maybe like getting things done or something like that? I'm trying to do most of my meetings in the morning. Uh, so like I usually, so that doesn't like actually happen every day, but like I'm trying to like shift it to like a morning is like for, for meetings. Um, and then afternoon is like for trying to do deep work. So I'm trying to just get in my zone and, and do the things I need to do, um, which can be very diverse. But like usually I do the emails in the morning first time, try to go through um, everything that's uh, inbound. Uh, that also like include like things like PRs and stuff like this. Um, which I try to do also in between meetings and then a uh, couple of meetings in the morning, the standups are 10 also have people in, in Poland. So, uh, and in Indonesia, so like you, like because of a time shift, like, uh, things need to happen in the morning, like standups. Um, and then we have a couple of meetings and, and the afternoon is usually, uh, left for like, tr I'm trying to leave it for like a deep work and individual work. Okay, okay, thank you. And also maybe the last question is about the uh, about the uh, learning and uh, you know as also as a technology leader, you need to learn uh, things uh, to understand what what could be used, uh, what could be implemented better. So actually how how do you learn? So do like do you read books? If you read books, what kind of books maybe you can name a couple of titles? Or maybe you, go, you read some other resources, or maybe you, you know, attend conferences, or maybe there are some other uh, methods, you know, even ways to, uh, to learn and study. So what's your so, approach here? Mm -hmm. um, in terms of like for uh, management stuff, I'm like reading, I'm reading audiobooks. Um, so there's like an audible. So I have like a, uh, some of the things I've read recently, like five, the five dysfunctions of a team or like is really good. Um, there's like, uh, something like, uh, about like multipliers is really good as well. Um, the, there was a like management book that like, uh, I've, I've got like about 20 of those that I read that are like really useful. Um, that's like on the more managerial side. On the technical side, I kind of read Hacker News, uh, and it's like the it feels like a a very good aggregator of like the the tendencies. It's more it's very uh, it's most likely very centric towards like the the U.S. and like Silicon Valley on like what what's happening there. Um, but it's also like gives like usually like big trending news get like transpire in there. So like I can use and TechCrunch and like those kind of things. Like that's with that, I usually have a pretty good idea about what's happening. And Twitter, like to, uh, Twitter for like uh, for like releases of new stuff. Like usually, like uh, in the Scala community, like the type level community, they're really active on Twitter. So like uh, when you have new releases or new interesting things, like uh, some of like the the influencers of like the, the Scala community, like you, you can see like interesting projects like come through and you, you can actually uh, like see some trends there, I think. Um, okay. So that's, that's uh, I think those are the tools that I'm using to like kind of get, get keep my hand on the pulse and like knowing what's going on. So are there um, some recent things that you have um, uh, learned from uh, maybe from these resources or from somebody that you have implemented actually in the company, maybe from management perspective or technical perspective, and uh, that you know really uh, and, and you have some benefits out of this. So there's something that I did learn. Uh, so the the last thing that I'm thinking about that's like was really useful was not really like it was through someone I met. 
Um, and what I put in place was a backlog review session. So a backlog is like within the process before you get to planning. Uh, the, so it's basically the sprint before planning. What you do is like you have a few uh, one hour sessions with your team to have product and engineering come together and go over the issues. Um, and it's like the occasion for people to, for engineers to ask questions about the, 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 the features and like what you need to do uh, and maybe make suggestions to try to improve it and like go over this thing. And like what this enabled uh, us to do is like when you get to the planning, everyone knows about like the stuff that's in the backlog. Um, they participated also in iterating on the specification. They know what it's about. They know what they need to do. Uh, so it goes like the planning goes a lot faster. Um, and like usually the quality of what being produced is also a lot higher um, because there's both like prior knowledge and because engineers also participated in, in the process and like uh, gave some of the good points. Um, it's like uh, usually what comes out of it is also better. So that's kind of, I think like that's a very critical part of our process right now, like for both um, knowledge sharing. So everyone knows what's happening um, and like uh, improvement of quality of the output and like, so like productivity in general. Okay. Okay, Nick. So thank you very much. And uh, yeah, it was really interesting to talk with you about, you know, different challenges that we face uh, during our work. And uh, yeah, so maybe you can, uh, I mean, if you can uh, wish something to our audience. So please oh, do. wish something is like yeah. uh, if like uh, I, <laughs> those problems are really hard problems. So I, I think like uh, we all are in the same boat on that in that front. Um, so I think like it's just about like finding other people to talk about those things and uh, trying to learn as much as we can all the time. And that's kind of like uh, that's the okay. best we can do. <laughs>